sight. Hello and welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill, this is episode 95. Thanks for listening. Welcome back everybody. If you're listening to this relatively quickly after it came out, it is Thanksgiving week in America. Happy Thanksgiving everybody. I'm recording this obviously a little bit earlier than that. There is a light snow falling outside, the first snow that we've seen in my part of the country. The ground is still warm enough, and you know the air temperature is basically still warm enough. It's not really sticking or anything, but there is a light snow in the air. Fall is in the air, for sure. Uh, I know that because there's snow falling, like I said, and uh, I had pumpkin pie last night, mostly because my kid wanted to. Uh, it's still too early for me. Pumpkin pie is a Thanksgiving thing, but uh, for you, it's pumpkin pie right now. So I hope you're enjoying your Thanksgiving holiday that's happening right now. Perhaps you have set your mp3 player on the you know the feast table so that all your relatives can listen to me instead of having to bother you or uh, you know maybe you're listening to this on the drive you know over the river and through the woods you know however you are enjoying the podcast i am proud to be a part of your holiday save the turkey neck for me all right what's new guys uh oh here's something exciting classic arcade machines are back so to speak in tiny little miniature form. Arcade cabinets, of course, have never really gone away. You can still find them around. There are plenty of arcades that have them, uh, and you can even uh, find them for your very own home. But now there's a dude who, for a hundred bucks, will make you a tiny little arcade cabinet that will sit on your desk. I'm looking at this thing. I had a picture of one of these. It's a centipede. It looks exactly like a centipede arcade cabinet, but it's sitting next to like a desk phone in an office and it, it's not all that much bigger than the phone and it's kinda cool looking the article I'm looking at was posted on rollingstone.com four days ago Shiloh Prychak worked in the game industry for 13 years uh, doing mostly modern games uh, but then he quit his job and started working on collectibles that pay homage to the arcade classics from the 70s and 80s uh, they quote him as saying, I just love the machines. There's a lot of ways you can play these games these days, but not with a trackball and a wooden cabinet. This is meant to be a collector's edition. Uh, they started with Centipede because it has broad appeal. It had a female game designer who created the game in 1979. And it was also a good game to show off you know, the fact that they were up to the challenge of re- recreating miniature arcade games with unusual controllers. Joysticks are easy to make. And there are tons of games with joysticks, he says. The second game they're going to do is Tempest, and it's going to have a little spinner. And this started as a Kickstarter project named Replicade Mini Centipede Arcade Machine Replica 12. Er, sorry, uh, try that again. Replicacade Mini Centipede Arcade Machine Replica 12 inches tall. It asked uh, through Kickstarter to ask for 50000 got it the first day. As of four days ago when this article was posted, it was up to 125000 each system costs 90 to 120 bucks, depending on how early you pledge. Has more than a thousand backers, at least when this article is posted. 
he hopes to keep making these things and create enough to fill a mini arcade. When the Kickstarter hit 100,000, he surprised backers not only with news of the upcoming Tempest machine, but a promise that everyone would get three tiny coins that could be placed on the front glass of the centipede to call the next game. That's kind of cool. If they hit 150,000, those coin slots, which now serve as free play and menu buttons, will open up to reveal a small storage area. He says, I just loved hanging out in the arcade, man. It was the place. It's not that we had all the money in the world, it was just staring at all the artwork. I think arcade machine art is up there with skateboard art and album art. So that's very cool. See if I can pull up the Kickstarter. I'm intrigued by this now. Okay, so this actually says, of its $50,000 goal, it obviously way surpassed that. It has $143,631. There are 1,154 batters so far. There are five more days on this Kickstarter. They have a little animation here of a dude playing the centipede mini uh, machine. And he basically is using his two fingers. One to move the trackball and one to push the button. That's how big, basically, your hand would cover the whole front of the uh, of the machine. If you pledge 25 bucks, you get a replicate insert coin light-up keychain. 110 or more gets you second on the list to receive one of Replicate X Centipede Collector's Edition at a very generous discount. Uh, you get the uh, the machine. You get a USB cable, a quick start guide, and one free Replicate insert coin light-up keychain. Uh, shipping is not included during the campaign. 120 bucks gets you on the list to get the Centipede Collector's Edition at a great low price. Uh, estimated delivery April 2018. Delivery on the first thing that I said was also April 2018. 200 bucks or more gets you on the list for the uh, Collector's Edition. Replicade 10 Centipede Collector's Edition. Oh, you get two of them. Alright, for 200 bucks you get two of them. 550 or more gets you a six-pack. Um, they are out of the $90 pledge level rewards. That would have put you first on the list to get one of the uh, Collector's Edition Centipede, but they're out of those, I guess. They got a thousand batters for that. I like this idea. This looks kind of fun. Uh, if someone wants to buy me one of these, please do. You could do that, uh, you know, buy two for 200 bucks things and send me one of them. That would be awfully nice of you. This is fun. I like it. What else is going on, guys? Oh, since I talked to you last... One of my favorite shows as a kid, Sesame Street, turned 48. I think I posted something on November 11th that said, Hey, Sesame Street is uh, 48 today. But I think it was actually November 10th that that happened. Either way, it's a milestone, of course. It's not, you know, the nice even numbers we like to talk about. When we talk about anniversaries like 50 or 100 or 10 or you know, the fives and zero ending numbers, basically. But 48 years is a long time for a TV show. So uh, happy birthday, Sesame Street. You are one of the many things that Jim Henson did that just add to my happy memories of childhood. What else? Oh, this is disgusting. Pepsi, uh, even though as far as I know, no one really wanted this, has issued a limited release of a thing called Salted Caramel Pepsi. Now, I do enjoy Salted Caramel. I like it in a dessert. I like it in um, uh, uh, coffee. Um... Salted caramel is a lovely flavor. I do not want it in my Pepsi. I don't drink pop all that much, or soda, depending where you live, all that much. But when I do, um, no. Whenever they try to do stuff like this, even cherry, like cherry Coke or cherry Pepsi, which I do actually kind of like, is pushing it. But pop or soda or whatever is already really sweet. And whenever they try to add these flavors, it just pushes the sweet 
button a little too hard. Like the vanilla uh, Pepsis or the, you know, whatnot. And I have a feeling that this is kind of the same thing. It's just, it's not, you know, good tasting salted caramel. It's just extra sweet. And that sounds gross to me. So, no, I will not be uh, partaking. If any of you have tried the salted caramel Pepsi and want to try and convince me that, uh, you know, it's just as good as a, a salted caramel mocha or whatever that I would get at uh, my coffee shop, let me know. Because, you know, I'm all ears. A couple more items in the news list. First... Atari Bytes is headed to Midwest Gaming Classic. That's right, kids. I have purchased my ticket to attend the Midwest Gaming Classic in Milwaukee in April. I'm pretty excited. I have never been to uh, MGC. And I'm going to be totally honest here. I've never been to a gaming convention, but I thought it was about time that I went. I host a gaming podcast, and I should go where the gamers are. So that's what I'm doing. I don't know yet if I'm going to have a table or a booth or whatever for the podcast. Uh, I've looked into a little bit. Nothing's confirmed yet, but even if I don't, uh, if I do, of course, stop by and say hi. If I don't, uh, even if I don't, I'll be the guy walking around in an Atari Bytes t-shirt. So go ahead and say hi anyway, because uh, I would love to meet you guys. So I'm pretty excited. I'm looking forward to that. As things develop, uh, you know, if I have any more announcements related to my presence at the uh, MGC, I will let you know. But for now, uh, I'm just excited to be going. So if anyone else, uh, any of you guys know that you're going to be there, uh, let me know. And we can try and, uh, you know, wave at each other or something. So that'll be cool. Uh, all right. I'm going to do a shameless uh, self-promotion uh, plug, and then I'm going to move on with the rest of the show. I mentioned it last week. I'll mention it again. I'll probably keep mentioning it through the holidays. I'm a writer as well as a podcaster. I wrote a book several years ago called In the Saint Nick of Time, uh, which is a beloved holiday classic, at least in my own head. Uh, it is a Santa Claus story aimed at adults. There's a lot of humor. There's some drama. There's even a little bit of gunplay. Uh, I had a fun time writing it. Uh, I like to mention it this time of year, obviously, given the holiday season that we're into now. Uh, I hope you consider checking it out. You can order it pretty much wherever you get your books. And yeah, I hope you enjoy it. So, in the Saint Nick of Time, uh, a Santa Claus story of sorts for adults that takes place in the actual town of Santa Claus, Indiana, which, yes, is a real place. So, look for that. Alright, enough self-promotion. Let's get on to this week's game. This week's game is The Challenge of Nexar from Spectrovision 1982. Spectrovision sounds like a thing that the uh, announcer would say just before uh, a Lassie or Rin Tin Tin episode on black and white TV in the 50s. Brought to you an amazing Spectrovision. But no, it was a company that made games, and one of them was called The Challenge of Nexar. Although it's weird, because if you look at the cart in big you know bold print it says nexar and then a tiny tiny little print right above it says the challenge of like do they not want you to know that it's a challenge i don't i don't understand that because when you first look at all you see is well it's just called nexar and then you see the tiny print i'm guessing there's some tiny print on there somewhere too that says you're wasting your money if you buy this game but i might be jumping ahead to my review you know spoilers all right so if you look at the manual for the challenge of Nexar, 
We're told that this is a multi-level mission for one brave warrior at a time. For the Atari and Series video game systems. Beyond galaxies known to man, beyond time as we perceive it, lies the source of inner power. Salt or caramel, we're guessing. There is a remote corner of the universe. Future Spectre warriors are trained for the conquest to come. So it's not exactly a galaxy unknown to man, right? Because apparently there's all sorts of warriors wandering around there. From the many who try, only a selected few can meet the challenge of... Salt or caramel. Sorry. Of Nexar. Okay. I guess, you know, I shouldn't be so human-centric. Those warriors could be uh, aliens. They don't aren't necessarily human. So maybe this uh, un, unnamed narrator is absolutely correct. That this is still a uh, galaxy unknown to uh, man. Although it's not, because he just told us. Uh, I'm very confused already. The challenge of Nexar should only be attempted by experienced player of at least cadet level or higher. And no, I did not leave out the A before A player. It literally says in my copy of the manual, The challenge of Nexar should only be attempted by experienced player of at least cadet level or higher. Spectrovision will not be held responsible for those who do not return. Do not attempt Nexar if you have high blood pressure or dislike video games. If you experience erectile dysfunction that lasts more than six hours, please consult your physician. Common side effects of Nexar include Vomiting Voting for Trump Enjoying Salted Caramel Pepsi I may have made up a few of those. The levels of Nexar So, you have ignored our warning. Very well, with, I might add, two exclamation points. It's a well-known fact that you have disavowed yourself from any liability for anything if you add two exclamation points. Upon presentation of your encoded identity cartridge, you will be sent to the entrance of the space warp. At each level, there are radioactive beacons that must be destroyed. These beacons are guarded by impact-exploding saucers, which guard the beacons. Uh, redundant much? These beacons are guarded by impact-exploding saucers, which guard the beacons. I add an extra level of redundancy by repeating the sentence again. It's sort of meta-redundant. Oh, man. I want a t-shirt now that says meta-redundant. Anyway, to become a Spectral Warrior, you must survive all 99 levels. Those who can go beyond all will receive their due recognition. Uh, and they tell you to turn on the game, basically. Uh, we're using the joystick for this one. Both right and left difficulty switches affect game play. The left switch, A position is 5 shields, B is 3 shields. For the right switch, A sets you at lose shield if time runs out. B, lose game if time runs out. Game 1 is practice. Game 2 is advanced practice. Game 3 is the challenge of Nexar. Full disclosure, when I did the field report... I did not pay that much attention to games 1, 2, and 3, and I basically was just playing the practice level, just so you know. Hmm. I didn't try this, but apparently if you flip the color switch, that puts the game in pause mode. Interesting. Entering the warp. You start at level 1 of the warp entrance. The beacon indicator advises you the number of beacons left to destroy at this level. Use your joystick to aim at oncoming saucers and beacons. The crosshair indicate your position in the warp. Fire as often as required. You must keep moving to avoid collision with saucers or beacons. Each collision will cost you one shield. Remember you are racing against time and must destroy all beacons before time runs out. Destroying all beacons at any level will advance you to the next level. The timer is reset at the beginning of each level. You start with either three or five shields. A bonus shield is given for every 10,000 points. Test results. Scoring. 
there are 99 levels of Nexar, and the maximum score is 999,995. Seriously? Why not 999? The saucer travel at the... We have a little grammar problem again. The saucer travel at eight different speeds. The score is based on what speed the saucer is traveling when you shoot it down. The beacons are 200 points, each multiplied by the level you are in. If you end up with a score of uh, 0 to 29,995, you're a cadet. 30,000 to 99,995 uh, is advanced cadet. 100,000 to 299,995 is a star warrior. 300,000 to 699,995 puts you at spectra warrior. 700,000 to 999,995 puts you in the Legion of the of the Chosen. We're also told that this game comes with a standard sort of 90-day warranty. And this game's uh, out from is from 1982. Audiovisual by Sirius Software Inc. Audiovisual by Spectra Vision International Limited. Programmed by David Lubar. All right, so that's the challenge of Nexar that no humans know anything about, except all the stuff I just told you. The review on 8-Bit Central notes that uh, the reviewer was initially delighted by Challenge of Nexar due to its first-person point of view. The game reminds this reviewer a little bit of Star Master. Uh, had the sense of being in the action rather than being a viewer. Horizontal shooters are fun, but they're also plentiful. This perspective was more rare in gameplay. However, the gameplay had an odd progression. Using the joystick to aim your weapon via on-screen crosshairs, you target and kill the enemy saucers. The challenge came as the action sped up, and your controls seemed less responsive. You would think with such an interesting title, Challenge of Nexar, there would be a, an interesting story arc, but there's not. Uh, no cool backstory, uh, it's just a shooter. There were two releases of Challenge of Nexar in order to fix a bug, where a rollover from 99 shields would re reset the count to zero. Although Challenge of Nexar has 99 levels, you'll likely punch your TV before getting that far. My main complaint is with the balance between increased difficulty and blatant insanity. The gradient is steep in this regard. Final judgment, SpectraVision's Challenge of Nexar has a first-person viewpoint, which is fairly well done and offers some manic gameplay. Its downside is that it gets ridiculously hard by nature if the controls feeling spongy as you progress in levels. The Atari Times in 2001 found this to be a neat little game, although it does get quite challenging indeed. The graphics are very simple and there's not much to excite the mind. There are better examples of graphics in games from this era than what is shown here. The total graphics are a spaceship in several colors that act as enemies, your shots, exploding ships, and lines that act as your playing area into the background. Although not squares, the graphics are still very simple. Control is simple enough. All you need to do is move the crosshair around the screen and use the button to shoot. Unfortunately, you will quickly notice the lag and slowness of the target as you move it around the screen with your controller. However, the simplicity of the control brings the score up slightly. There are a few sounds that are good, besides the blast of your fire and the poorly done explosion. This is a major area that should have been redone. Music is not important in this game, but good sound effects are something I, and I positive many other Atarians and video gamers, expect. The Challenge of Nexar is not an amazing game, but it is a good game to play for those who like a memory challenge. I'm not sure I follow that. Overall, it fails, and this game could easily have been better, especially in the sound and graphics department. The A to Z of Atari 2600 Games Volume 1 included an entry about Nexar, also known as the Challenge of Nexar. They uh, conclude that the game was clearly released to cash in on the success of the Star Wars films. From the moment you start playing, you will recognize those enemy TIE fighters flying toward you. This is a pseudo-3D shoot-'em-up that uses graphics to great effect. They mention the thing about the crosshairs, 
The graphics are really good, the 3D effect is impressive, the sound is pretty standard, fair for a space shooter, and fits the game perfectly. The game is fun for a while, but probably won't hold your interest in the long term. It's pretty much the same short game each time you play it. The addition of a two-player mode where you compete for the best score does offer a little variety, though. You do get the feeling that Nexar was intended as a technical demo rather than as a game. Now that he says that, this reviewer says that, I guess I can kind of... Yeah, that makes some sense to me. It, it doesn't feel finished somehow. Like the one reviewer said, they're calling it the challenge of Nexar, but there's no explanation of what the challenge is, per se, or what Nexar is, and all this stuff about this galaxy that lies far, lies far beyond, you know, human knowledge or whatever. All sorts of potential there for backstory, which is what we like on this show, of course, uh, is the backstory, and none of that is given to us. So, uh, yeah, it, it just feels incomplete, and like this book says, almost like a, a technical demo. All right, with that set up, let's uh, get on to the field report, which we'll do after the break. Also after the break, maybe Nexar would be less challenging if he wasn't so guarded. Learn to love, Nexar. Learn to love. The challenge of Nexar. Nexar? I'm not done with the last R. <laughs> So, Challenge of Nexar is very 80s looking. It's a weird little vortex thing. Uh, it's loud, flashy. I'm pretty sure if you have a seizure disorder, you shouldn't watch this little strobing screen light effect thing. Um, the ships are, well, very TIE Fighter like, actually. Uh, there's TIE Fighters that, of course, for intellectual property reasons, aren't TIE Fighters. And, uh, little squares, which I guess are the beacons. Uh, I'm not seeing a single saucer. Uh, we were promised beacons and saucers, and I'm not seeing any saucers. The firing mechanism feels weird. I guess the thing that you're controlling on the screen are the crosshairs which usually would imply that you set the crosshairs on the thing you want to shoot and then shoot it. But it feels like when you do that, it just blows the ship that you're shooting just blows you up. So you gotta stay a little ways away, which kind of defeats the purpose of the crosshairs. And then, I mean, let's be honest, your little bullet thing is pretty uh, lame. There's not a lot of power behind that little laser thing. If you have a limp laser, please seek attention immediately. So you have to be really close, but you can't actually touch the thing you're shooting with your crosshairs, because it'll blow you up. Uh, it's a little frustrating. I guess I like the aspect that everything's just kind of coming right at you. Uh, it adds some, you know, excitement, I guess. Colors, that's nice. I think there's supposed to be shields. I don't really know how that works. Going 
played this a little bit at this point. Ooh, I cracked 2,000 points. Hey, Twin Galaxies. Get ready to record my score. audio before. I feel like these sounds are from another game. I can't... Right, I'm not gonna start that over again. Yeah, so that's uh, the challenge of Nexar. Back to you in the studio. Thanks for that on-the-spot report, Brad. you just tuned in, the Pinedale shopping mall has just been bombed with Here's the thing about the challenge of Nexar. I agree with what these reviewers said. The game feels incomplete. The uh, controls are soft. The uh, gameplay is super repetitive. The noises, I should say sounds, but it's really just noises in the game are kind of annoying. I don't love this game at all. I've only played a little bit. Today was literally the first time I'd played it, but I don't really feel compelled to come back to it. I've got so many good games to spend my you know, relatively limited Atari time on that I'm probably not going to waste my time with this one. Sorry to say it, it's just, it doesn't feel like a finished game to me. So, that's that, I guess. I don't hate it. I don't like, you know, Amadar hate it, but it's just not, it's just kind of, eh. That's a game. But, 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 maybe that's just an indication that there's something mysterious going on here. Maybe... This isn't quite what we think it is. Maybe this is the unauthorized, untold Star Wars Expanded Universe story. A story that I'm calling Star Wars. Womp Rat's Revenge. On Tatooine, deep beneath the Sand People's latrine, the Womp Rats put up with a lot of crap. Literally. Clarinet-playing freaks and elephants that can play keyboards were all the rage at the cantina. The planet is crawling with stinking Jawas, there's a Sarlacc pit, for crying out loud. But who does everyone around here mock and scorn? Not them. No, not them. They love the smell of burlap cloaks soaked in Jawa urine. No, the Tatooineans, right? Plural of Tatooine citizens? Anyway, the Tatooineans reserve their contempt for the lowly Womp Rat. Not that low, mind you. The average Womp Rat is nearly two meters. Two meters of calculated rage. And now, the galaxy is going to know it. Far away from Tatooine, in the rebel hideout, young Luke Skywalker finished off the third drink of water he'd asked for that night. This one better do the trick, because there's no way Chewbacca was going to come in again. Luke had his footy Star Trek jammies on, and it was time for sleep. Tomorrow was going to be a big day. Luke lay down and closed his eyes. Old Ben immediately started chattering in his head. Use the Force, Luke. I know, Ben. The Force is strong within you. You told me that already. It's true. Yes, Ben. Big day tomorrow. Destroying the Death Star. Luke rolled over, wrapped his Doctor Who pillow around his head, but Ben Kenobi was still there. I'm still here, Luke. A blast shield helmet over your face couldn't keep the Force out. You think the TARDIS can? Not the Force, just you. 
Luke grunted. I need to sleep. The Rebel Alliance is counting on me. Did you really shoot all those womp rats? Ben asked. I mean, I ate like a gazillion of them when I was doing the hermit thing. And I worked for every damn one. They're not that big. They're hard to catch. No, no, they're not that big, I guess. About two meters, but yeah, I shot them all. And the T-16. Ben suppressed a chuckle. Oh, the T-16. Yeah. A little easier to maneuver than an X-Wing, isn't it? A little, I guess. Think you could hit a Womp Rat with an X-Wing? I've never tried. Luke shifted uncomfortably. His footy jammies were getting kind of hot. Yeah, Ben casually dropped in. How big is that vent in the Death Star again? The one that you have to hit to cause a chain reaction that destroys the whole thing? About two meters, Ben. Hmm. Just like the Womp Rats. I suppose, Luke said. Then the vent will be a lot farther away than those rats were too, Ben said. But then he brightened. Anyway, good luck tomorrow. On his way out through the force hallway, the Womp Rats hollow transferred a 20 to Ben's force pal account. No judging the old Jedi. A force ghost has to make a free credit somehow. Luke stared at the ceiling for a while. Could he really do this? Had he remembered to tape his crib sheet on the flight controls in the X-Wing? Up for forward thrust, down to decelerate? What if he put the notes upside down by mistake? Of course, the words would be upside down then, and surely he'd notice. But would he really? Two meters. No bigger than a womp rat. His eyelids grew heavy. Luke tried to force lift them, but he was too tired. A womp rat skittered across Luke's mind. It was wearing a blast shield over its face, with a special cutout for its snout. Did they actually make those? Luke didn't think so. Remember me? The womp rat asked, only it was hard to understand at first, because of the squeaky voice. You're a womp rat, Luke said, but his voice was halting. This was odd. Was he dreaming? Oh, it's no dream, sweetheart, the womp rat said. You know your friend Biggs, the traitor? Not a traitor. He left the Empire. He's with us now. Well, maybe he was, until we womp rats chewed off that cheesy mustache. Luke bolted upright. What? Just kidding. We totally could do it, though. The rat didn't mention he would need to stand on a maintenance droid to reach Big's mustache. Again, Womp Rats, about two meters. Go away, Luke said, sleeping. A second rat skittered into Luke's mind's eye. This one had fur twisted into that, that weird dual-bun hairdo Princess Leah liked. Those stormtroopers, they're a little tougher than us rats, buddy, a rat said, now sporting a Big-style mustache. The blast shield rat said, and they shoot back, unlike us defenseless rats. I've had training, Luke said. He kind of needed to pee. And we rats are cowards, the big rat said. We run away. Those TIE fighters, though, which totally aren't TIE fighters, really, they just kind of look like it. Trust us? They'll keep on coming, though. The blast shield rat started doing the old earth dance, the swim, which was weird, given how long ago and far away that was. Yep, keep on coming. It said, wave after wave. The squadron is ready, Luke said, but even in his own mind it didn't sound convincing. Hope so, Biggs Rat said, because once you get past those TIE fighters that totally aren't TIE fighters, if you get past, Blast Shield Rat said. Right, then there's all those Death Star defenses too. I hear they have lasers that can destroy planets, Biggs Rat said. You're just one little yellow-haired dude, Blast Shield Rat said. 
they won't hesitate to take you out. Remember, they don't even put railings on their bridges and walkways, Biggs Rat said. Those guys are crazy. And the force can't stop crazy, Bless Shield Rat added. We'll get you a bumper sticker for your X-Wing that says that. Sort of a good luck gift for your bid mission, Biggs Rat snickered. Blast Shield Rat shook his head. Don't waste your credits. That X-Wing is going to get blasted across the galaxy. The rats faded from view, chuckling as they went. Those rats don't know what they're talking about, Luke mumbled. He kind of wished he was back in his T-16 again. After a parsec or two, Luke fitfully drifted in and out of sleep. The next day, in the cockpit, he could barely hear Redlier over the droning rat's voice. The Force can't stop crazy. Ben, I could use a little help, Luke said as he made an approach to the Death Star. Enemy ships hurtling towards him, definitely not looking like TIE fighters. A chime sounded. Luke scanned the instrument panel, but heard then. Message R2-D2. The party you are trying to reach is not available. Voicemail has not yet been activated. Or, you know, invented. Luke started to panic. I can't hold it, he said. From nowhere, a voice said, Stay on target. The Biggs mustache rat and the blast shield rat danced around their lair, deep within Tatooine. The plan was working. Skywalker, the cocky, good shot, is scared. The rebels were struggling. TIE fighters picked them off one by one. Except, of course, they weren't TIE fighters. If Luke was going to destroy the Death Star, now was the time. I can't do it, Luke said, breaking off another approach. These saucers don't even look like saucers. I'm very confused. Yes, the rats cried. I should never have left the farm. Evaporator repair tech is all I'll ever be. Yes, the rats cried again. Hey, rats, thanks for the credits, Ben Kenobi's voice suddenly says. But remember that time you didn't come to my twister party? Watch this. Use the force, Luke. Thanks, Ben. Emboldened, Luke proceeds to destroy the Death Star. He totally nails that two-meter opening. What a dude. The rats, shrieking rage, bounced off the sand dunes of Tatooine, leading the sand people to put down their needlepoint and scowl in an annoyed fashion. Never piss off a hermit who just wants a friend, Ben said. The rats sulked in their rat holes. After a long pause, the Biggs Mustache Rat said, Well, we could go screw with the Wookiee and steal his medal. The Blast Shield Womp Rat shrugged non-existent shoulders. Yeah, okay. And that's our show. My thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Pinball Spring, and Take a Chance. Show notes are available at ataribytes.lipson.com. You can email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at ataribytes. Or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. And as you know by now, in a bold leap into 2010, Atari Bytes is now on Instagram. We'll see how this goes. You can find Atari Bytes on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, uh, on and on and on. You know that already. But don't forget to accept the challenge of iTunes and leave a review. And then, make sure to find all of your fellow Jedis that totally aren't Jedis because that's protected intellectual property and tell them to use the Force to listen to the show. Also, you can support the show financially on our Patreon page or by picking up Atari Bytes merchandise at our Zazzle.com store, which is called AB underscore pod underscore store, which is a dumb name for a Zazzle store, but there it is. Basically, just type in Atari Bytes and you'll find some stuff. 
lots of cool bags and mugs and shirts and stickers and all sorts of stuff. Also, if you have the time and you're into Snoopy and Charlie Brown and the whole Peanuts gang, check out my other show. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown, for your monthly Peanuts fix. New episodes drop on the 15th of every month. Next time on Atari Bytes. Kaboom! The copter seems to be circling the parking area now. I guess it's looking for a place to land. No, something just came out of the back of the helicopter. It's uh, a dark object. Uh, perhaps a skydiver plummeting to the earth from only 2,000 feet in the air. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you. Turkeys could fly.